This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. So for a group of us, interspersed among the larger group, this is the seventh day of a seven-day sashin. So it's the last day. Um, and Daigaku talked about this sashin last week, and I'd like to continue the conversation, but maybe what it's like from the inside. I was thinking... Um, what it would be like for the people who are in the throes of this process to hear what I have to say about it. Would they recognize any part of it? <laughs> it's a little hard to hear. It's muffled, your voice, from here. When I hear you, it's a more muffled sound of your voice. Is that the words. same for anyone else over there? Mm-hmm. I'm just asking, is that... Does it sound okay over there? Everyone else is nodding. I have special hearing. Yeah. Do you want to move to another location? (coughs) Okay. Um, In in some ways, Sashin, is that any different? A little? Okay. You're welcome. In some ways, the process of Shashin is indicative of the process of Zen practice. You know, the, the, the consequence or the aspiration of Zen practice is very simple. Just be completely in the moment. You know? Now, how to do that, how to go through um, process, how to give over to a process, how to learn from the process the alchemy of working with the challenges and difficulties of a human life. You know, that's quite an undertaking. And, and so that simple aspiration and the process that enables it is, is, is really the, the heart of Zen practice. And then we just build up around that. And in the spirit of Zen practice, you build up around that according to the situation, the circumstances, the people you're dealing with. In some ways, Zen practice doesn't vary in principle from whether any one of us is working with post-traumatic stress, or whether we're deeply settled and we're discovering what is it to be immersed in a deep concentration and unwind those more subtle ways of clinging and disconnecting. The process is the same throughout that. So the first part of the process is setting up a supportive environment and committing 
to take on the process, to, to take on the request of the environment. You know? The challenge for us as we enter in is that we will bring our distractions. We will bring um, the complications and challenges of our habit energy of how we think, of how we feel, of how we act. To set up an environment, a way of practicing an internal intention and an external supportive environment. And so in a way, a Zen center is attempting to be an an external environment in which you can come that will resonate with your internal intention. And then within that context, one of the initiating points is nothing special. Start where you are. It's It's not a matter of what should you be experiencing It is, what are you experiencing? What's happening here, right now? What thoughts, what feelings, what physical sensations, what memories of the past, what imaginings, what fantasies of the future? To start making contact in any way and every way that you can. and how to let that be more of an agenda than what should happen or what should not happen. And in some ways this runs contrary to we want good things to happen and we want bad things to stop happening. We want to suffer less and we want to be happier more and we want it now. So there's a tension. You know, there's a tension between the two. You know? And so as we start to settle into Shashin, this starts to become evident. And then there's a request. We start to experience a request which is something like, don't struggle with your struggling. Yes, there is a tension. Don't make matters worse. (laughs) Try to see it rather than exacerbate it. Okay, you're having a hard time just sitting on your cushion, being present for what's happening. Can you be with that rather than allowing it to create agitation, distress, disappointment. And as we're starting to settle, that's not so evident. We're sort of in the midst of it, but we're not quite seeing it as an act, as, as a characteristic. We're, we're, we're living it. And then 
there are many techniques. Um, in some ways, you could say within the, within the principles of this process, there's entering the moment right now without hesitation, sudden enlightenment. And then there's gradual enlightenment. Just keep steadily practicing, you know. Just keep steadily discovering how to be in your body. Just keep steadily discovering how to work with the breath, how to notice the thoughts rather than get carried away by them, how to feel the feelings. But actually, these two are totally interwoven. The gradual practice, hopefully, is peppered with moments of connection. So the, the, the two primary techniques I were offering were these. One was pause, notice. And in some ways, that's all there is to Zen practice. Pause, notice. And just keep doing that forever. <laughs> but most of us need a little more <laughs> guidance, structure, a few more details about <laughs> how. How do you pause and what, how do you notice? You know? Pause, notice, acknowledge. So even on a cognitive level, oh, that's what's going on. And then the development is, can the acknowledging, rather than move into my commentary, my judgment on what's going on, can it move into experiencing what's going on? Pause, notice, acknowledge, experience. So the poor people in Shishin had to hear that every day. Lessons will be repeated on Lent until learned. This is our life. Our life lessons will be repeated until learned. And then another technique I've been offering is working with the breath. with two attributes, two primary attributes. One is letting the abdomen soften. In this process of struggling, the tension between entering the moment on its terms and trying to bring our agendas to the moment. Here's what I want and here's what I don't want. And I'm going to make it happen. The tension between those two sets up its own kind of distress, its own kind of anxiety, its own kind of agitation. To let the abdomen soften so that we're not being caught up Okay, just pause. Let something grind itself. Let the moment not be so tense. 
let it be experienced. And then the other technique, um, release with the exhale, closely aligned with the pausing, and soft belly, and allow with the inhale. There's two attributes, you know, don't cling and don't resist. Don't grasp at life and don't try to push it away. So to explore that through breathing, to drop below our ideas about it, okay, that's a nice idea. What is it to actualize the idea? What is it to engage it moment by moment by moment? It's a challenge and not an easy one. That's why we do Sashin and spend all day working on that. Amazing. All day. And then get up the next day and do it again. And it's a very interesting thing to do because um, as you settle into it, the workings of who you are and what you are become more apparent. So it feels more like you're settling into unsettledness. to be willing to turn towards the intensity of your life, to be willing to turn towards the fire of your life, the challenge of your life, to turn towards the things that psychologically you're much more inclined to move around, to strategize so that you don't experience them, to not be willing to open to them when you are experiencing them, process of staying where you are and repeatedly opening and opening and opening quickens. It quickens the connection to these fundamental dispositions we have, agitations, distresses, anxieties, however you want to put them. In in, in Traditional Buddhist language, it's called dukkha, which is a fairly broad term that covers all the different ways we're not quite settled in the moment. And then there's a beautiful match. As we start to contact that, the pausing, the releasing, make a whole lot more sense to us. Mm. it really would be a good idea to just loosen up a little bit to let down a little bit to let the belly soften to let something of this agitation start to loosen and then we start to see the some 
primary requests of our being that are being asked of us. Patience, diligence, and compassion. Don't get frustrated with things not being the way you want them. This is not what I want. Okay, but what is it? Well, it's not what I want. Okay, but what is it? (laughs) Okay, this is what it is. And how long is it going to be this? I don't know. Compassion. This is not so easy to be with. When you really start to strip away your defenses, when you start to open up deeply to watch your experience, there's painful stuff there. Can it be held tenderly? Can the self-critic in its blatant and subtle ways. Can the self-hatred in its subtle and blatant ways be met with a steadiness, with a kindness? And then the discipline, the willingness, the fortitude, the courage to stick with it. So in Shashin, you know, you have made a commitment to just keep going. And then the beautiful thing is the room is filled with all these other people who are just keeping going. And it's very interesting. It's not so much, well, they're doing it, I'm going to do it. You start to feel a connection, a kindred spirit. It's not for nothing in spiritual traditions people start to call each other brother and sister. It's like our collective dilemma, our collective challenge as humans starts to become palpable. And as each of us takes it on, we support and inspire each other. There's a book by an author that I can't remember, but the book is called The General Theory of Love. And he works on the notion of the limbic system and saying that through the limbic system, this is how we make this kind of connection nonverbal, body-to-body, heart-to-heart connection. So sangha, practicing together, it can be a powerful ally in our process. And it's very much an attribute in the Zen tradition of how we engage our process. We do it together. And then as we continue this, um, almost despite ourselves, despite the seemingly endless ramblings and distractions and preoccupations and fantasies 
and relived memories and unfinished business, we actually start to settle. And it's like, the world according to me, and all the way it's being attended to and endorsed and energized, starts to loosen up, and the present moment, as it appears, starts to become more real, more vivid. It's not unusual in Chishin where interestingly, unexpectedly, and unintendedly, you drop into a moment of presence. And it's interesting, in a full moment of presence, it doesn't actually matter that much what you're present for, but it vibrates. It, it has an authority. It, it has a quality of being. And then usually you want to keep it around. How did I get back there? I'm really practicing now. Finally, I'm getting somewhere. And then the very grasping pushes it away. And that's just one of the learnings of awareness. Um, but this shift, that the moment becomes more plausible as what's happening. And the story, according to me, of reality, of existence, of me, of everything else, starts to be less utterly convincing. And this is a very important shift. Because it enables a variety of things. One is we literally start to trust the moment more. We start to trust the process of practice more. But there are other things that start to come forth too. There's a way in which we start to see it's not inevitable that you're caught and trapped within your own stuff. It's possible for that to crack open and something bigger, something more original to be experienced. And the mysterious and marvelous thing about practice, and this is really evident in Sashin, this is not happening so much on a cognitive level. You know? It's something underneath. You know? Usually it, it, it comes out in your willingness to sit still. Or you're seeing your stuff, but you're not as distressed about it as you used to be. There's a little more resilience. And then there starts to be a, a glimmer of very interesting Buddhist factor that has a Buddhist name called Pamoja, which is something close to optimism, but it's, it's really a trust 
in the process of waking up. You know, usually, we're, we, we, what we fully trust is what we want and what we don't want. So really want it, and that will help you to get it, and really hate it, and that will help to destroy it. And that is the formula for happiness and the end of suffering. But the process of dharma is see it for what it is and discover how not to get stuck in the karmic process. And as we start to taste that, it's like there's a relief within us. There's like a light bulb that lights up. Huh. And as I say, not so much cognitive. Often, it's more on a feeling level. There's a a fundamental trust in a different way of being. And it's very personal. You can read a thousand books about it. You can listen to a Dharma talk and think, oh, that really nailed it. You can... You can um, look at someone else and say, look at them. They're just like right on the money. That's, there it is in living flesh. Those things are helpful. But at some point, to experience it in your own being, with your own being, being your own being, And this is one of the great offerings of Shishin. Actually, the great offerings of the practice of being in the moment. It draws you close to being your own being. So as, as, as there starts to be a shift, and then usually in Shishin, you shift over, And then there's some ease. Sometimes there's a rising energy. Sometimes there's an enthusiasm and a gratitude. And then your habit energy sneaks in the back door and grasps you. And you leap right back into some of your best neuroses. I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, you have all this capacity for attention and involvement, and you go to time. And the schedule is like, okay, we know you're a little crazy right now, but let me just take you by the arm and keep you going forward. I know you're right back in that deep sadness, that deep yearning. However it takes its shape. Be that as it may, when the bell rings, please stand up and do walking meditation. 
please chant, please eat your breakfast, please take a break. And then we can start to see this process that we're all in. We open to the world, we open to life, we open to other people, and we close. We shut out, we contract, we suffer. But the practice has started to create that kind of trust, that kind of optimism that allows us to look at it. And I quoted a poem where the poet says, like looking at a garden from the gate. It's like bearing witness on the human condition. This is deeply personal and it's also just what humans do. process, it's like the way we agitate our agitation, the way we get anxious about our anxieties starts to loosen up. And then you just got your plain old common agitation, anxieties, sadnesses, angers, desires. But we start to cultivate a kind of honesty. Okay, yeah, that's how it is. There it is. That's what's going on for me. Mm hmm. It ain't pretty. (laughs) (laughs) And along with that, a kind of curiosity. Hmm, let me look at that again. pausing and noticing. Hmm. The way that person walked through this window annoyed me. Wow. That's kind of amazing. <laughs> they were just walking. But I found it annoying. Yeah. What was that about? Yeah. Well, they were clunking their heels. And I think clunking their heels is wrong. <laughs> Good Zen students don't clunk their heels when they walk. <coughs> and I disapprove and find it annoying. So simple things come forth. And even though there's still agitation, even though there's still disturbance, it's like a curiosity. Hmm. Isn't that something? It's almost like looking at a garden from the gate. Oh, look at the way they did that flower bed. And they put in 
a fruit tree over there. Oh, hmm. And look, that triggered annoyance. And then I took that annoyance and I brought up a memory that also annoys me. Well, that's creative. <laughs> and then we keep watching because now it's getting interesting. And then we notice attention shifts to the quality of light coming in the Zendo window. And something about it strikes us as beautiful. And a whole other way of being. We move from a realm of being in an annoying place to being in a place that stirs us, that stirs up our gratitude, our appreciation. Isn't this a beautiful place? Isn't practice wonderful? Aren't these beautiful people I'm sitting with? (laughs) So dedicated. I love every one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And we start to experience this rising and falling, you know, this conditioned existence. This is what's going on all the time. And it's like, it's just itself. You can put any kind of adjectives on it you like. You can wrap it up in any kind of understandings you like. But there's just the authority of its presence. There's just the authority of this is how it is to be a human being. And we start to feel this request. Okay then? You're one of these so-called human beings. And it does seem like you are here in this place, in this moment. Be it. Don't turn away from it. Don't go off into a dream. Don't waste energy denying it, struggling with it, trying to insist it should be different. Open. Connect. Let what already is be what it is. So we glimpse this, and then our habit energy says, No way. (laughs) I'm not doing that. (laughs) That would kill me. (laughs) And I am not up for that. (laughs) 
good one. I like this guy. <laughs> I was getting to that. <laughs> exactly. Is this going to cure me or kill me? You know? experience the tenacity of our habit energy, to experience our ambivalence, our fear, our hesitation, even when some part of us is saying, this is wonderful, this is the greatest, I am totally committed. Are we done yet? Can I go home? I love Shishin. When's it over? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And can that be welcomed in? Okay. Yeah. There's ambivalence. There's hesitation. There's still some some voice that says, what about me? And and it's not so uh, clear. It's not this cognitive process. It's, It's more like a feeling. So we invite it in. We experience it. When it becomes agitating, we soften it. We meet it with soft belly. When we're resisting it, we breathe it in with allowing inhale. When we're struggling with it and holding on to it, we release it with the exhale. Hundreds and hundreds of times. Actually, hundreds and thousands of times. In Shishin, from the morning through the, the afternoon to the evening. <clears throat> and we discover in the process some beautiful opportunities that you can start to pause. And not only can pausing be this virtuous discipline, pausing can be fun. You can pause and delight. You can pause and just feel the pleasure of being in that moment. You can play with it, you know. You can say, well, I think I'll stand in the courtyard where it's warm (laughs) and there's pleasant sunshine and there's nice plants to look at. Fine. Start in the courtyard. Start by sitting in an easy chair with a cup of your favorite tea. 
and then carry it to more nondescript events. What about when you're just walking down the hall? And can you carry it in to just utilitarian aspects of your life? <coughs> when you're just getting together your dinner, your breakfast. When you're just having a casual conversation. And our practice starts to shift from endless discipline to something closer to devotion. This is what I love. And it's not like those voices, those urges to leap back into other states of being are totally gone. When our capacity to not be so fooled, our capacity to not meet them with aversion, our capacity for patience, compassion, and kindness start to uh, come forth. In fact, those things start to make more sense to us. Huh. Yeah. Patience does make sense. I am me. I should try to be patient with that. Well, you know, I don't have that much alternative but other than being me, so I might as well like, get used to it. And I do suffer. You know, I do. Things happen, and I find it, experience them as hurtful, difficult. Something ripens. And it's almost innocent in its manner. It's not such great, complicated notions about the nature of what is. It's like now we're seeing dukkha. And we're not frightened the way we used to be by it. It's like, hmm, yeah, that is true. And we start to discover the notion of refuge. We take refuge from suffering, and we take refuge in. You know, whether it's the pause and the moment of appreciation, of savoring, or whether it's seeing that we don't have to grasp and cling to our suffering. In one of the stories I recounted in the Sashin, 
yesterday, I think. Uh, seems like a long time ago. The Buddha's walking along, and he says, this is a good place to build a sanctuary. Indra puts a blade of grass in the ground and said, the sanctuary is built. When we pause, whatever is there can be a sanctuary. It can be the exhale. It can be the sensation in your body. It can be holding the hand of someone you love. It can be anything, a blade of grass. And something about practice becomes an attractive proposition. Hmm. And now I'm going to speed up. I'm sorry. Uh, Someone said to me yesterday, I hope you're going to give us a pep talk by the end of Sashin. You know, we've got to go back out in the world. (laughs) So I have to get to my pep talk. (laughs) So I want to skim over these three things that that really are a completely worthy contemplation. And the, the, the first one is, and these are called within, um, these are called the three gates of liberation. And the first gate is that we're not alone in this. And it's not just that we can sit together and do it. It's that we are interwoven. Our lives are intimately and thoroughly interconnected. You know, in the realm of neuroscience, we're discovering not only does, is there limbic resonance, but actually, I forget what they're called, but there's aspects of our brain that can literally pick up each other's feelings. Of course, we've known that forever, but now we can prove it with neuroscience. Um, What are we spending most of our time doing? Talking to somebody inside our own head. Being connected is incredibly important to us. But our sense of anxiety and distress separates us. So as, as we continue with our practice, starting to literally trust not just this one, but this one. The practice of opening and connecting. Opening, connecting, not just to the perfect beloved that we know is out there somewhere for us, our soulmate 
will totally get us, and with them, everything will be bliss. Maybe. Maybe not. But the same way that we can connect, not in perfecting me, but allowing me to reveal something about the nature of existence, that can join all existence. Every other one, every other one of us is an opportunity to experience that. And not only that, all existence is an opportunity to experience that. And the notion of being separate from that is indeed just a notion. And it's not that this is some superhuman effort to accomplish. It's more about non-doing. It's more about undoing. It's more about being and receiving and engaging what is. So those are the three gates of liberation. The interconnectedness, the separateness is just a story we made up. And it's not a whole bunch of hard work to have this happen. It's actually already happening. It's more of a matter of stop doing all the hard work of insisting it's not happening. <laughs> and then the marvelous, mysterious thing in Shashin. You know, one of the gifts of being a Dharma teacher and having the honor and privilege of leading a Sashin is you get to bear witness this process. Each person comes, shows you Buddha, shows you the one that's capable of being such a way. This is how it is. This is our human life. And it's not a process that happens in our cognitive process. You figure it out. Okay, I'm at step three. Now what's the next step? The image we use in Zen is like feeling your way forward in the dark. It's more like, okay, what am I feeling? And then you take a step. And something happens. And then sometimes upon reflection, you think, oh, it was like that. Maybe. So here's my pep talk for you, those of you in Sashin. Um, in some ways, there's nothing more difficult that a human being can take on than being completely themselves. 
It's a beautiful irony. <coughs> and the great thing about taking on the most difficult thing is then, then the other things are not so difficult. So in Zen practice, we say, that's impossible, I'm going to take it on. Delusions are inexhaustible. I'm going to end them. Human beings, with all their agitation and distresses, and the fact that there's so many of them, I'm going to help every one of them. There's so many ways to enter the moment. There's so many ways to be present. There's so many manifestations. I'm going to go through every one of those gates. I'm just going to be it and be it and be it. So now you've set yourself up for the impossible. All those other things, well, neither lesser events. There's something about being awed by the majesty, the opportunity of practice that it reframes the trials and tribulations of our human life. Okay then, yeah, yes there's still that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, if I can tackle the impossible, I can probably tackle that too. And it's not about success and failure. It's something about heart. So let me end by Hephaestus' way of talking about it. He called this poem, You Don't Have to Act Crazy Anymore. (laughs) You don't have to act crazy anymore. We all know you're good at that. (laughs) Now retire, my dear, from all the hard work you do of bringing pain to your sweet eyes and heart. Look in a clear mountain mirror. See the beautiful ancient warrior. The divine element you always carry inside that infuse this universe with sacred life and join with all existence.